Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It's Wednesday, February 15th, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm joined today by senior analyst Chaviv Retagur and health and science writer Nathan Jafai. Hello, good morning. Hi, good morning, Jessica. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Chaviv. Hi there. We'll talk today about why the architects of the judicial reform have been in such a rush and what role President Herzog wants to play, can play. We'll talk about that as well as three scientific studies, including one showing that Talmud study can cause nearsightedness. Before we jump into all of that, we're going to take a quick break. The Technion Israel Institute of Technology is where some of Israel's brightest minds ask the biggest question of all. What if? What if they could take on the world's biggest challenges? What if they could develop life-changing environmental, scientific, health, medical, and technological discoveries that will make a huge impact on Israel and the planet? But they don't just ask the question, they answer it too. They turn those ideas into reality. They make them happen. To see just some of the incredible things they've achieved, get the Technion Booklet of Wonders at ats.org slash wonders. We hope it inspires you to give them your support so they can keep doing what they do best. The American Technion Society. World-changing discoveries by Israel's brightest minds made possible by you. So Chaviv, I know that you're working now on a piece about President Herzog and what he is thinking, planning, given the contentious judicial reform, but it really follows, in a sense, maybe, your last piece about why Justice Minister Yariv Levine seems to be in such a rush to push through the reform, as well as, and we have this in your headline, foreign investors are increasingly worried, and you wrote in this piece that President Herzog is calling for dialogue, and of course we know that he even put forward five ideas of how to slow down the reform. What were you thinking about in that piece as you work on this new piece? We are now, I think, entering a new stage in this fight, really, this massive political uh, clash that is that is really dr- dramatically pulling the country apart. We haven't seen these kinds of demonstrations in a long time. We haven't seen these kinds of shifts, you know, between two polls a week apart can show 15 to 20 percent of the population changing opinion on this issue. There's so much in flux. And, and while everything is really changing uh, very quickly and there are new conditions on the ground now, these protests are larger than certainly Netanyahu or Yariv Levine expected. Uh, They have lasted longer. I think they're in their fifth week now uh, than anyone expected, even I think the organizers. So there is a real anxiety, a real fear. And we know from polls that it's it's not just among, so to speak, the chattering classes, among journalists or politicians or activists. It really is uh, a popular concern. One of the curious things facing that kind of growing opposition, including opposition among right-wingers and even among Likud voters, uh, is Yariv Levine and, and Simcha Rotman. He is the chairman of the Knesset Law Constitution and Justice Committee, who really controls the schedule of the legislation of the judicial reform, their, you know, I don't know what to call it, uh, uh, stubbornness. Uh, stubbornness is not a bad thing in a politician. Um, they are 
plowing ahead, refusing to freeze the legislation, refusing to take a pause for compromise. And I want to suggest that the reason that they are refusing to pause for compromise, even after President Herzog asked them to, even when we have polls showing really widespread majority of Israelis are afraid of this reform, or at least of it passing quickly and passing in this form, there is support for judicial reform, there is support for a significant constitutional reform, but not specifically this one. Um, but Levine and Rothman are pushing forward nevertheless because, because of that opposition. In other words, the very fact that there's so much arrayed against it, the very fact that so many elements of Israeli society, both you know, in the grassroots among the people and among the elites and among the institutions of the state and among the lawyers and professors and scholars and the president of the country, and, and so many forces are arrayed against this kind of reform that Levine and Rothman believe that they might not have another chance. And so if they can't push this through now, it, it just literally might not happen. And so the, the louder the opposition the more the more fear we is generated by the business journals who cover you know one company after another pulling its cash out of israeli banks out of fear that they won't have legal protections in 6 months after this thing goes into effect uh for those funds and the government you know will be able to just decide that foreign direct investment can't you know leave the country or 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 you know the the details are where a lot of these narratives break down and it's not clear exactly what the fear is but i think the fear ultimately is about chaos um israelis on the left israelis on the right they are telling us they're telling journalists they're telling themselves they're telling each other they're marching in the streets and yelling that they distrust each other, they distrust the other side, and they feel uh, a tremendous uh, fear of the other side's intentions, and that makes it very difficult to compromise, very difficult to come to the table. And that's something that I think the international financial markets are responding to, just a sense that nobody really knows what's happening. But, Khabib, does there come a point where Silcha Rothman and Yariv Levine and Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu have to start paying attention to all the people marching in the streets because expectations would be after Monday's strike in which we saw tens of thousands of people, possibly even more, well, more than 100,000 people gathering across from the Knesset. And if we have more this coming Saturday night and on following weeks, at what point do they start paying attention? Or as you're saying, they don't actually have to, in a sense, as long as it gets pushed through. Yeah, I think that's a very, you know, important question, a question that we're all kind of asking. At the end of the day, uh, week upon week upon week of mass protests at this scale, no prime minister can ignore. Uh, back in the disengagement, Ariel Sharon was prime minister, and there were right-wing protests night after night, week after week, and Sharon was very dismissive of them on television, you know, on the news, and, um, and, and, and then he wasn't, and then he did have to respond, and then the public did want to see, the public that supported Sharon wanted to see Sharon deal seriously with these concerns that were raised by citizens protesting and demonstrating. Um, and so I think that here Netanyahu is beginning to feel the pressure. Um, there is still a sense on the right that these reforms that they've been calling for for two, three decades, I have to say, I am sympathetic to some of these reforms. Um, I think, and I have argued, and I think there is almost wall-to-wall -wall agreement among the in the legal profession in Israel, among scholars in Israel, that, th that this particular 
package of reforms and the way it's packaged and, and, and the details of it go v- way too far. The idea that the Supreme Court needs to be reined in is not unpopular. This specific reform is unpopular. And so there is there is a compromise. One of the interesting things we've seen, speaking of Herzog, is um, that Herzog came forward with, with details, a detailed proposition to the sides where he said, look, we need to rein in the court's ability to, you know, rule on the reasonableness of, of, of the political uh, uh, echelon's decisions. We need to think about slightly restructuring or, or even, you know, profoundly restructuring how we appoint judges. That's fine. Many different democracies do it in different ways. Uh, Israel's is actually a little bit of an outlier. We can bring it into it, you know, we can restructure it and make it a little bit different. But we can't go to this, you know, absolute edge of, of, of I don't want to say extreme, but really the edge of the discourse, which is what uh, Yariv Levine has proposed. And so there is a reform compromise out there. Herzog points to one version of it. There have been other suggestions from left-wing think tanks, from right-wing think tanks. Um, both Israel Democracy Institute on the left and the Kohelet Forum on the right have proposed compromises that reach this sort of gray middle ground. Yariv Levine so far has uh, held his ground. Uh, He's afraid uh, very much that compromise is a process he'll lose control of. This headlong rush to legislation he feels in control of. He is also the voice in government. Netanyahu wants him to, to slow down, to back up a little bit. Rothman has expressed public willingness to compromise. Levine has rejected, has agreed to dialogue, but he's rejected in any way uh, pausing the uh, actual legislative process. And so he's giving you know the opposition a month to convince him to change something, or he's just going to push it through as it is. Um, so we don't quite know if uh, Yariv Levine is going to slow down. I, th- I suspect that in the end he'll be forced to, because we're seeing the beginning of the buckling by Netanyahu, by Rothman. There is a call for dialogue from their side. Uh, Yair Lapid, of course, is holding out for a pause in the actual legislative process to allow time to think, to allow time to plan. Um, anyway, this is something that is uh, going to be on our agenda for the next few months. It is the one of the most significant moments in Israeli constitutional history. Frankly, it might be a good thing. The Americans like to say you shouldn't waste a crisis. If we come out of this with a real dialogue that produces you know, it, it reigns in the court the way the right wing wants, but then it institutes other institutions to check the government the way the left wing wants. This might be one of the best things that has happened in Israeli constitutional history. That's the optimistic version. That's the first positive thing I've heard about this judicial reform. We're going to take a quick break. When we're back, Nathan will tell us about some new scientific studies. I got married this Monday. In the middle of a war. You are not a soldier anymore. You are 50 years old. What is the matter with you? It's like a couple of kilometers from here. Like my friend has a 4x4. Let's just go cut across the fields and go get him. Israel Stories Wartime Diaries. Voices that try to capture slivers of life right now. And he told me, take with you a sleeping bag and a tent <laughs> and just go. I texted him on, like after I was told that he was killed. From their eyes, I was a traitor. Everybody needs their, like, blankie, their teddy bear, something to make them feel safe. I'm just another grandfather looking after his grandchild while his son is off at war. These children of Hamas now 
will be the killer of my children. I desperately wanted to talk about sex during my eulogy for Ido. Everyone has to choose to be optimistic because we don't have room for pessimism. Check out Israel's story wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about the war in Israel right now. And you've been reading the headlines. Massacre in Gaza. Genocide perpetrated by Hamas. No, by Israel. But if you've been listening to this podcast long enough, you know one thing. This stuff seems complicated. And honestly, no one can really just pick a side or decide an opinion without really learning. Without really knowing what you're talking about. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History, now in its sixth season. They have episodes with topics ranging from what is Hamas anyway, to whether Israel should ransom captured soldiers, and the history of Israel and its disengagement from Gaza in 2005. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So... Educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to your podcasts. So Nathan, you've got a few different pieces here. There's a lab claiming it taught rats to detect lung cancer by sniffing urine, hair straightening products that can cause kidney failure, and nearsightedness in Haredi men, probably due to Talmud study, which all sounds like the back of a magazine cover. So tell us about the rats that might be able to detect lung cancer by sniffing urine. What's that all about? Yeah, I must say, kind of uh, deciding the final headline for this piece uh, had some <laughs> slightly amusing back and forth between uh, between me and the editor, um, who was at the end of the messages. Um, but it is really fascinating research. Um, the idea here is um, that Israeli basically training mechanisms and also technology have come together and basically produced a system whereby you have a team of about 30 rats and what these rats do is they sit by a conveyor belt by little cartridges that come to them with urine and the rats have been trained to smell the urine and give a signal to say whether this urine comes from someone who has a certain type of cancer or whether it doesn't. Now, this all sounds quite kind of science fiction, but it all adds up. It's well documented that different cancers do actually have different odors that does go through to people's urine. Um, and it's well known that rats have remarkable capabilities for smell and also ability to be trained so what they've done here is to bring all of that together and said hey we're going to train rats and build a system where they learn to actually test these samples for cancer um, and the remarkable thing is that this has been assessed you know this is a very serious startup um, and this has been assessed and is showing um, efficiency rates in the 90s that means that uh, in over 90 out of 100 cases, these rats are getting it right, which is massively exciting because what it means is that rather than have people 
for their first screening test for certain types of cancer, waiting for an appointment at a hospital, going to the hospital, um, and really kind of, you know, all of these processes reduce the amount of preventative screening going on. This could open up a possibility for people giving urine samples at home and actually mailing them through to a testing facility where they would be tested by rats. So while it all sounds kind of very theoretical, this could actually be the way that we deal with urine samples in the future. Now, it's important to say no one will get a final diagnosis for cancer based on this. It's obviously a first screening test, but a very exciting Israeli method currently being tested and could be rolled out and kind of um, taken to market within about 14 months. Okay, that's pretty wild. And I'm wondering if there's a New Yorker among the team there because... Rats, New Yorkers, subway stations. Okay. Well, yeah, I think that's all big cities. They say in London that you're never about six, but never more than about six feet away from a <laughs> uh, from a rat or a Starbucks. Yeah, well, right, of course, because they don't have the population of cats that we have. Okay, moving on to hair straightening products, which of course there's many Israelis here who use hair straightening products given the number of curly heads that we have around here. But these they're saying this research shows that hair straightening products may be causing kidney failure. What can you tell us about that? There's different types of hair straightening. Um, as a father of three girls, I know this, hmm. that there is uh, hair straightening which uses irons. That's This is not about that. Okay. This is about what they call permanent hair straightening, which is actually a hair straightening that lasts for several months. Uh, chemicals, essentially. Yeah, exactly. Chemicals, people usually do this in a salon and these different types of permanent hair straightening but they found that one of the popular types of hair straightening um, chemical has actually caused a few dozen cases of kidney failure in Israel or we should say a few dozen cases that have been documented and quite possibly um, other cases as well. This is due to a leaking of the chemical into the blood and then onwards in the body. Um, and this has been taken so seriously that these particular products, I'm stressing this is some of the permanent hair straightening products, not all, but this particular type of uh, product has been banned in Israel now, the first country in the world we believe to ban it. And what's happened now is some very serious peer-reviewed research documenting this concern, um, which we really expect to to spread around and see other countries actually taking Israel's lead and potentially looking into this or considering the kind of uh, the ramifications of this research. Right, because obviously you're not going to put that chemical in your hair if it could cause you kidney failure. Got it. And then we have nearsightedness in Haredi men, a higher likelihood it would seem and probably due to Talmud's study of all those hours spent poring over very small print and big books. Um, tell us about that because that is fascinating and it's fascinating that only now we're finding out about that or considering. Yeah, so what we have known for a while, what we have known for quite some time, I mean even anecdotally people are aware of this, is that um, nearsightedness so and uh, use of spectacles is much more common in the ultra-orthodox community than in other parts of Israeli society. Haredi men are actually three times as likely to be nearsighted compared wow. to 
the secular public. And what's happened now is this study that basically um, used technology to look at the average distance that a Haredi man would hold a piece of reading material or even a tablet uh, from their face compared to others. And what they saw was a very ingrained pattern of holding texts and other things much closer to their face. And the, the research is suggesting that there's a connection between this, between this kind of, you know, accustomedness to reading certain texts, to looking very closely at things, uh, to use of the eyes in that, that respect and nearsightedness. So kind of the suggestion is that there could well be some cause and effect um, relationship here, which is uh, which is kind of very interesting in terms of the road it sets us out on. Right. What would be the road? So it's really indicating that kind of, you know, this very close reading of text um, conditions people to hold them closer to their face and that this could this could in turn be harming eyesight and this could have quite practical ramifications you know especially in uh, 2023 it could be that we will get to a place where we're saying you know for the sake of people's eyes let's start printing Talmudic texts bigger or let's start studying more of them from uh, from tablets so we can enlarge them and that kind of thing. So it really does kind of take us back to this point of considering, okay, let's think about this. Why are we seeing these eyesight patterns and is there something that can be done about it? So it could be the, it could be a road to something that's very practical. Well, that will be very interesting to follow up on. So I'm curious to hear what will come next. Thank you for being on today's Daily Briefing. We're glad that you were here. Bye, Jessica. Bye, Javiv. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. Bye, Javiv. Bye, Nathan. Have everyone have a good day. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow with another Daily Briefing. In the meantime, take care. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. Until next time. Shalom.